Welcome to the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast, where we talk about the clinical and practical issues that face those working in the mental health industry. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Barrier Breakdown. My name is Erin Mellano Bailey. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Cognitive Behavior Institute, and my co host, Dr. Kevin Caridad, who is the CEO and owner at Cognitive Behavior Institute. On this week's episode, we are discussing when mental health professionals encounter suicide, and we are joined uh, by a very special guest, Hainan Lopez de Lyra. Hainan is a bachelor in psychology and master in clinical psychology and culture from the University of Brasilia. Hainan is a PhD candidate at the Department of Psychological Medicine, University of Otago, Wellington campus, and his PhD research is entitled The Mental Health Impacts of Exposure to Suicide Among First Responders and Mental Health Professionals. So Hainan, thank you so much for being here with us on The Barrier Breakdown. Can you please uh, begin by sharing a little bit with our listeners about what uh, interested you or who influenced you into pursuing uh, a career in mental health? Um, First of all, thank you for inviting me and having me uh, to have this uh, conversation, to have this opportunity to talk about my research. Um, So I have a degree on psychology, so uh, kind of mental health was always something that interested me. Um, And well, being really honest, uh, when I was on the under degree, I've always, questioned myself about my uh, decision to study psychology or to pursue this uh, career. But then I started to uh, study um, about suicide. And this was quite like, um, oh, well, I don't know the right word, but uh, I felt like this would would be something that I could do, that I, or some place that I could help. I felt like this is something that I I can do and I can help others. And if I can help other people, so that will be great. Uh, this will give me this fulfilled feeling uh, when you choose something to work. Um, and so mental health has been on my uh, background for since uh, 10 years ago. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. Um, do you want me to talk about the research? Or yeah, why did absolutely. I yeah, exactly. Tell tell our listeners a little bit about um, why you chose that area of study in your research. Okay. Uh, so as I'm, I'm a former clinical psychologist, I've been uh, working with uh, patients who are at risk. And since, at, since my uh, other degree, I remember, I recall my professor telling me that you are not going to be able to prevent all the suicides. So eventually you will be dealing with a patient suicide, a patient dying by suicide. And this can be very distressful. Uh, when back there, when I was in Brazil, I just started to wonder how it is if this happened, how, how would I feel? How, how would I, because um, this involves not only the feeling of failure as a clinical psychologist, as a professional, like if someone killed themselves, uh, um, I have 
somehow failed as a, a professional, but also a grief feeling uh, because you know this person, you have a deep connection, you have been sometimes working with this uh, patient for years, and then the suicide happens. And we know that a grief by suicide is different from grief, from regular grief. Uh, I don't even know if this is a word like regular grief, but uh, the usual grief reactions we have, they are different when it comes to be a suicide because a suicide is a very um, hard thing to understand. Uh, I think it has like a, a, a special um, way of people to feel, you know, it's strike harder than just grief itself. So that's why I, I kind of thought about studying uh, the effects of suicide exposure. In mental health, uh, particularly of late, uh, you know, suicidality, we're seeing very much uh, an increase in thoughts of suicide and uh, definitely greater risks of individuals doing that. So I think it's very, uh, very good area of study and uh, like to hear a little bit more about what you've been finding. Um, so um, I am on my second year, I just started. So uh, the last year I had to start it from overseas because of the COVID. So um, it kind of holds my research from um, having like really good uh, data to talk about, uh, but I had to done the sorry, the review, the literature review, the one that got published and got a little bit of attention. Um, I have find, found that the clinical psychologists and psychiatrists are among the most studied ones on the literature, which is interesting because most of the time they are studied as they how they react, the emotional reactions, but not much on possibly mental health outcomes, because we know that su a suicide exposure, a group by suicide can be, uh, can be no, uh, sorry, it's like a huge um, risk factor for suicide. And I wonder how um, this impacts on psychologists and psychiatrists. I mean, I think that we have this idea that because you are a psychiatrist or a psychologist that you kind of know how to deal with mental health, but it's different when you are on the position of a patient and when you are on as a clinician. So uh, everyone can be in need for help. So I, I think the same about psychologists and psychiatrists uh, accordingly to uh, suicide risk. I think that's something that we should be more aware of just as um, clinicians, uh, medical students, they are among one of the most uh, at-risk careers. I mean, for under degree, medicine, sorry, medicine students are among the ones that uh, have the highest rates of suicide. Um, but furthermore, I've been uh, interviewing first responders, especially police officers and paramedics. And so far, I have found that um, there's a very specific situation in New Zealand in which all those 
paramedics, uh, firefighters, police officers, they kind of are involved with uh, a suicide scene or a suicide situation in which they need to hold the person from uh, putting herself at risk. Uh, and the lack of um, police options, you know, like the lack of competition, they, the lack of people to work. So this put them on a big situation in which they are overwhelmed by the work and then they have to attend to a scene and then moving from a very traumatic situation to another situation uh, without time to process, without time to debrief, without time to vent about what just happened, uh, what they are feeling, and this can leave some uh, really hard um, memories, some really traumatic situations. And I have been uh, interviewing like 20 uh, professionals so far, and almost all of them have uh, at least or either a diagnosed PTSD or symptoms of what could be a PTSD. Then interestingly, uh, I thought that would what would be more stressful for them would be the images, the gruesome of the scenes of suicide or the pressure they feel while doing with this, while, while dealing with those situations, while trying to uh, prevent someone from killing themselves. Interesting. Uh, the most stressful situation for them is to deal with the family, is to deal with the raw grief they are experiencing because they don't have clinical training on how to counsel, how to help these people. Uh, uh, and if you put together the imageries and the family reactions, it kind of uh, uh, increases the stress they feel during these scenes. And uh, so this I find really interesting because first I thought it would be the, the traumatic images of the suicide instead of the other um, situations that are uh, caused by a suicide. And it leads to a big range of reactions, uh, like being more aware of uh, suicide in their own life, I mean, in their personal life. So being more concerned with their, uh, uh, their daughters, being more concerned with their, their children, being more concerned with their partners. Um, and also if the scene somehow reflects uh, something on their own history, like someone who has a daughter and attends to a scene of uh, a girl who just died by suicide, this can be even more stressful because then the person can somehow uh, put herself in the situation, like, what if it was me? What if it was my daughter? Uh, sure. And, uh, it's a very delicate topic. Sure. No, I can understand that transference of, you know, someone's life similar to yours or family members similar to yours and how impactful that would be um, to someone. And, you know, when you talk about this exposure that they, and obviously it impacts these, these first responders and these mental health professionals, did you learn anything in your research about how they cope um, with experiencing, you know, through, through you know, the, the suicide, how they, how they cope with, you know, the trauma that they, they have faced or they, they endure? Mm -hmm. So it, uh, all my interviews also have found that the fear colleagues, uh, 
like seeking for peer support, talking to your colleagues is the most um, used way to support, of support. I mean, especially with police officers, uh, because they have this very strong culture of being tough and not talking about their feelings, but they are still uh, needing to share what they have experienced. So uh, I have heard and also read on the literature that usually police officers feel that only other police officers can understand them. So this also helps them from seeking professional help. Uh, also the, the sense of a stigma related to seeking for help or like being weak. So if you are being affected by the job, you are not able to uh, do it because that's the nature of the job, going to this kind of scenes, going to uh, dealing with some traumatic and gruesome situations, but this is how you need to do. This is how you must cope with you. I mean, just do your thing. So most people seek for uh, drinking. Unfortunately, it has been a very uh, strong situation, a really uh, common way to cope. Um, focusing on exercise, being... Uh, going to the gym, going to run, uh, trying not to think on the situations. Some very few person have, uh, some very few people have told me about um, mindfulness, applying mindfulness skills. Some few others went to a professional consultation. Uh, interesting, there are some people that find actually a critical incident review useful and some others will find this like a, a witch hunt um, like trying to blame who are the responsible for these uh, this is especially uh, applied to psychologists and psychiatrists because they work in a health system in a health environment and then uh, there's this um, and every time that a suicide happens Usually they will have a critical incident with you. Some people find that as an opportunity to know that what they have done was the correct way. So they have done everything they could. They have offered the best they could. Uh, Why other people will um, find this, like they are trying to blame, to find who is the responsible for that. Uh, but still an interesting uh, thing to help them to cope like to have this uh, time to debrief, this time to process, to talk about their feelings. This is especially uh, uh, important for the paramedics, at least the paramedics that I have interviewed. All of them have told me that they wish, because I kind of asked what support you have and what are the support that you wish to have? How would this look like? And most of them just told me that having like 15 minutes of just to debrief, to process, to talk to each other, to have this time to share and to, to know that they are not alone with their feelings because, I mean, everyone's impacted by a situation like this. We are human beings and we are going to see another human being. So this is very hard for them. And not being able to sit down and cope and uh, debrief, sorry, uh, is something that's very stressful, it's something that uh, increases the chance of PTSD. 
I can see how that would be helpful, uh, you know, particularly first responders who are really doers, right? Those to save the day, uh, showing up to a situation in which they're helpless. Uh, the outcome has already been and something they can impact on and not having the ability to process that then building over time and not be able to separate that weight just becomes overwhelming. And the same thing I would think for psychiatry or psychology or mental health providers. I think from my perspective as a clinician, one of the worst scenarios is, is a loss of a client. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's some self-doubt failure. Could you have done anything different? Uh, you know, because that's what you're supposed to be preventing and it can just be overwhelming. So I could see uh, the path that you're, you're painting and some of the interventions potentially to, to think about. And then from a public health perspective is, you know, as how do you address first responders and come up with policies or for, or whether it be in uh, the national organizations of these professions, whether it be the psychiatric association or psychological association of, Hey, you know, what policies or what can they incorporate into their ethics about how do you address these particular situations? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And also uh, all of these, uh, these uh, doubts about uh, your own efficiency as a, as a professional can lead to uh, someone just retiring earlier or considering changing career or changing career. I mean, I have been interviewing retired police officers that they said, I quit the police because of the stress. And they all say like, oh, it's not the, the, the nature of the job. It's just that because there's a lot of job, a lot of work, I mean, and then uh, the workloads to be, and then you feel overwhelmed. But also all of them uh, during the interview, they have showed that actually they were impacted by suicides. They were impacted by traumatic situations in which they cannot um, kick their images off. So they say like, well, uh, it's not like something that I think every day, but if I sit here and start to talk ab about it with you, I can, the images can come. They are like showing up. So all of these uh, uh, yeah, leads to a very um, delicate situation, a very uh, important thing for us to look at. The... Yes. Yes, and thank you so much for uh, Hainan for sharing your research with us. We will be sure to, for folks who want to read the article since it's open access, we will be sure uh, to link it in our podcast um, so that folks can can read about it and, and learn more. So thank you very much for taking the time to uh, do this research and continue it. And it's very important. I know that um, you, all the points that you made regarding the mental health clinicians and the first responders, um, it is very really a tough job that they face. And uh, it's certainly good to see you shed some light on, on ways we can you know help them and others. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate the time. Wonderful. Thank you. And thank you so much to our listeners for this week's episode of tuning into this week's episode of The Barrier Breakdown. We look forward to uh, meeting with you next time and stay safe and healthy. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health. Listeners can find all of our episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. For more information and to learn about upcoming continuing education events, check out our website, cbicenterforeducation.com, our Facebook pages, Cognitive Behavior Institute, and CBI Center for Education, 
as well as our Instagram at Cognitive Behavior Institute and our Twitter at CBI underscore Pittsburgh. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We hope you'll tune in for another guest next week.